Hello there! It's Friday, which means it's time once again for the best movie podcast ever. The only movie podcast to offer objective and hyperbole-free discussion of every movie in the known universe. I am your host, the podcaster with no name, Comrade. And with me as always, he didn't come here to dream. He came here to be woken up. It's Anthony James. <laughs> You're waiting for a train. Yes, it is me. Hello. <laughs> if, if, if you... There's going to be one person out there who already knows what film we're going to talk about based on those lines that, that we've just spoken there. If that person is you, I pity you. No, I'm only, I'm only joking. Like, it's, 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 we'll get into it, all right? We've got a lot to discuss. Yeah, um, I just want to say up front, uh, beware, beware the Conrad agenda. All right, let's just, let's just leave it at that. I'm not going to go into detail on the Conrad agenda. Listen, my... I've laid out my stall very clearly <laughs> on on the filmmaker in question, um, but before we get into that, Anthony, how the devil are you? Let's give give him a little bit of back and forth before we. Before oh yes, we race no, no, I'm doing I'm doing very topic. well, doing very well. Just had my fifth wedding anniversary, so that went very well. You know, uh, we celebrated it by getting a pizza, uh, and it was absolutely hilarious. Actually, I went into the I went into the pizza shop, and on the wall they had the size guide, and I was like the large. That only that looks quite small. It looks like ten inches, whereas the extra large looked like about twelve to thirteen, fourteen inches, something like that. I was like, yeah, that's probably a good one. So I got, I said, right, we'll take one of those. And then when I got home, no, when I, sorry, not when I got home, when they gave it to me, the extra large. I'm not even joking yet. This thing was like two feet wide. I was like, what the <laughs> fuck? Like, was I standing too far away from the size guide or something? Yeah, yeah, that's what it was. Like you've you've made the mistake of ordering a pizza from outside the, sh- the store again. Yeah, um, I've actually learned something in that conversation as well because I didn't realise that uh, that one of the anniversaries was pizza as a material. That's uh, that's yeah. very exciting. <laughs> actually, the anniversary this time is wood. Um, wood. Oh, okay. And um, I did actually. I had a brilliant idea last summer. Whenever I found out it was wood for the, for the fifth anniversary, and I was like, oh my god, Emma plays the guitar. Well, we both play the guitar, but Emma's like sort of always like been trying to learn the guitar, but she's never owned her own. So I was like, I could get her a guitar for the wood anniversary. It's a very good idea. Yeah, but her birthday is in September, and because I had the idea in August, I couldn't wait, so I just bought it last year. So that was that was her wood anniversary and birthday present from last year. Lovely. Lo- well, they that's what a what a lovely way to cement a relationship. Well, I say cement. It was pretty cemented already to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Like you've been married for 5 years. It's um, locked in now. M- much like Anthony's relationship with his wife. We're going to cement your relationship, dear listener, with us, uh, the the best movie podcast ever. And we're going to do that through the medium of a f- well we're, uh, through a few a through a, a through a few mediums. We're going to talk about uh, dis Media, sure. Uh, we're going to talk about Disney suing its own star, or not suing, but but dressing down its own stars in legal battles, mm-hmm. and whether that's a good idea and look for Disney or not. Spoilers, it isn't. Um, <laughs> David Ayer continues to take issue with the original Suicide Squad, which is interesting, to say the least. Uh, we've got a Back to the Feature that's very close to my heart, and I'm saying no more about it than that. And we are heading into the infinite subconscious with, yes, that's right, you guessed it, it's Christopher Nolan's Inception this week. Anthony, are you ready to talk about some gosh darn movies? I think I am. Let's do it. Movies, we have to start with Disney because, wouldn't you know it, the billion dollar company continues to be a bunch of shits. Um, Scarlett Johansson, I don't, I don't know how much you've actually seen of this this week, Anthony. Fair, but, um, I know the news, and I'll just I'll find out how how well informed I am through you, I suppose. Okay, so basically, the 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 story began uh, with 
I can't actually remember where it, where it dropped, but um, reports came out on Thursday the 29th, so just before the previous episode of this dear podcast aired, um, that Scully Hansen was suing Disney for around 50 million in lost box office earnings mm-hmm. because Disney essentially moved the marketing push for Black Widow away from cinemas and towards Disney Plus, yep. which, as a as a starting point, I think that's fair enough. You know, that's a pretty significant chunk of change. Oh uh, well, the fact that Scarlett Johansson was suing them. H- h- well, and then, you know, fifty mi- for fifty million. You know, I mean, it, uh, to be honest, any amount of money, I'd be like, yeah, fair enough. You know, like you were pr- made promises about the marketing of the movie that were that were not kept. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, it's fifty million dollars. That's quite a lot of money by by any stretch of uh, by any stretch of the amount. One hundred percent. I'm a hundred percent behind it. I will just say as well, it did inform my uh, decision to go and see Black Widow on the weekend. I did go and see it in the cinema. Support Scarlett Johansson. I will just say that. Um, I. Honestly, and people are talking about that this might be a watershed moment for actors and actresses to get paid through streaming services better. I will say, I'm hesitant to believe that, and I will say this because Scarlett Johansson was executive producer. So therefore, her pay is tied into that credit as well. So therefore, it might be hard to equate this to just a normal, smaller actress or actor. You know what I mean? Yeah, she she has she has a lot of pull. Yeah, um, a a lot a lot of a lot of sway around those uh, those parts. But I mean, still, um, a a significant moment. Um, and then Disney decided Mm -hmm. to really lean into being the heels in this situation by issuing. I'll just read their statement verbatim and then we can we can go into uh just just how much bullshit it actually is Mm -hmm. uh there is no merit whatsoever to this filing the lawsuit is especially sad and distressing in its callous disregard for the horrific and prolonged global effects of the covid19 pandemic disney has fully complied with mr hansen's uh contract and furthermore the release of black widow on disney plus with premier access has significantly enhanced her ability to earn additional compensation on top of the 20 million she has received to date so, few things. Mm-hmm. First off, fuck off Disney for invoking the COVID nineteen pandemic yep. as if somehow you're hard up. Yeah. <laughs> like, please think of us, sir. We we've barely got a cat to put in our head. Like, it's like <laughs> yeah, yeah. piss off. You you're not a Victorian orphan. You're a billion dollar company. But also, what the fucking goal of them to name that she's got twenty million so far? The only reason yeah. they do that is because they know half the people who hear that are going to go, well, what the fuck does she want more money for? That's yeah, whenever, exactly. whenever they're weaponizing her success to be like you've made loads of money already off of this as if they haven't yeah <laughs> same thing happened to jennifer lawrence like when jennifer lawrence mm. came out and said she she wanted equal pay for equal work uh then all, all, all of a sudden everyone's like what are you talking about you made six million it, like okay that's fine that's absolutely fine but she she's entitled to equal pay if she's doing the same job like yeah. this is ridiculous you know She's yeah, and you know she's entitled to what the contract states that she is entitled to, and Disney like trying to hide behind the pandemic and hide behind money they've already paid her is such a bad look. And you know they're a massive company, never trust massive companies. They are made up of scumbags, the lot of them. But even in this case, this really took the cake for me. It made me really angry, particularly given that um, Scarlett Johansson had, uh, according to reports that came out after this, reached out to try and agree a new deal mm-hmm. with Disney. Once it became clear that they were going to push more on Disney Plus than in than in cinemas, to you know to try and come up with something mm-hmm. that was that was agreeable without the need to sue them, and Disney essentially just said no. So okay, let me just say right, it, I'm really really baffled um, when things like this happen. It I, it blows my mind, Conrad, that the world, the, the zeitgeist of the world's thought is all so biased 
towards being on the company side. It, it's yeah. and, and I, I I know I might get a couple of hate comments, but, but, but I probably won't because our listeners are great. But but when I say this, the comparison is there to the Me Too movement as well. This is literally a victim blaming scenario. People are blaming the victim of this situation because she yeah. is 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 standing up for herself and saying you didn't honor my contract. You know what I mean? Yeah, like under in in literally no circumstance should you be siding with a corporation. They don't care about you. They don't have your best interests at heart. They don't have feelings, and they are particularly the publicly traded ones are driven by a need to increase their value to their stakeholders and their shareholders. That's all they care about. Corporations like particularly of this side size can get fucked. As far as I'm concerned, I really don't get it. Like the fact of the matter is, as well, Conrad. Personally, in my own personal life, I, I know a few people i'm not gonna go into who they are in relation to me but i i know name them now i know a few people who work for small businesses and let me let me be honest with you small businesses are like the 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 drive of a country i absolutely love them having said that this shows the mentality of some owners of businesses at even a small level a few people that i know in my life um were have been severely um, mistreated by their bosses, and they and they work in businesses with only five people. For example, one person I know wants to go on is going to go on maternity leave, and that's going to take all the way to the end of the financial year. So therefore, the only way that she is going to get her holidays is if she takes them now. Her boss has said to her, "Not allowed to take your holidays because we've only been in the financial year for a couple of months." That's completely against the law. That she's went to citizen advice, and but the fact of the matter is, she thinks that her employees have no idea what the law is, and and she's just taken advantage of it. Now, my question, my question to you is this, Conrad: If if small business owners cannot care about their five employees that they see every day that much. Why the fuck are people on Disney's side when the people who are making the decisions don't even meet the fucking footman, you know? It's, well, I mean, I'll, I'll give you my cynical answer. It's because their name is at the beginning of the movie when it's like the Avengers or Star yeah. Wars or whatever. People are like, oh, no, not Disney. They might lose all their money and stop making Star Wars movies. Disney ain't going to lose all their money. Disney are going to outlive all of us. I promise you that much. Like, Mickey Mouse will still be running his his salt mines on mars when earth is is dead like this is not a company we need to worry and about. and to be honest with you that's um, actually what's what's really annoying too is because everyone loves like marvel and everyone loves watching marvel but this is the fact of the matter it's never going to end like you this is not it's never going to end you are you are not going to see the end of this you will die before they stop making these films so in that yeah. in that way i'm actually very i don't like them in that way because i'm like What's what am I what am I sinking my teeth into here? What am I what am I actually going along? I'm not even gonna see the destination. I you know. <laughs> well, at some point they'll remake the Avengers. When when enough yeah. people have forgotten it happened, they'll be like, We're rebooting it. Um but um j- so just to end this um this this deserved rant on perhaps a slightly more positive note, uh so this this hopefully will be a landmark moment in how studios handle profit sharing in general uh gerard butler is already suing millennium for 10 million of profit uh, sharing he believes he's due for the 2013 movie olympus has fallen which is obviously pre-covid pandemic but it, it's you know it's telling that he he has been spurred into action mm. by scully hansen doing this and emma stone is reportedly mm-hmm. also considering her options over cruella getting more or less the same treatment as black widow and so they should you know just because they are it always puts me in mind of a steve coogan interview where he talks about like the super wealthy and how he finds them oh, yes. disgusting mm-hmm. and and instead he wants everyone to just be mildly disgustingly wealthy like actors which i can get behind yeah yeah, yeah <laughs> like, exactly you know, like, like people can 
have twenty million. That's you know that's fine. I, I'd like that's that's not too much. Someone but it's when we yeah. get into billionaires. Someone who has twenty million has the same like has more in common with me than someone who has twenty billion. Like that that yeah. is true. I will say as well, just before you go on there, it's not just actors and actresses who this is affecting. The um, mm. costume designer and obviously Emo would be plugged into this. The costume designer of Cruella actually um, was in talks with Disney to create like a fashion line uh, based on the costumes. Um, and this has thrown up huge discussions because the costume designer was ghosted by Disney then, and then they just released the fashion line without her knowing, and she got no share of it. Now, this is the thing. If you're a musician and you create music, every time that music is played in an advert or a TV show, you get royalties every single time. Costume designers, there exists no such thing. Disney get costume designers to design these princesses' dresses and design these characters' clothes, and then they sell them to children all around the world. The costume designer sees nothing. Yeah, that's a good point. That is a good point. And I'm sure, you know, costume designers aren't the only people working on these movies in, you know, kind of crafts positions mm-hmm. that are are being hard done by 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 these, these decisions. Um, that are made by people who have nothing but making lots of money mm-hmm. um, in in their heads, and uh, if that's all that they, uh, all that you're thinking about, you're probably a scumbag, and I have no mm-hmm. time for you. Um, now, speaking of studios who make superhero movies shitty, um, <laughs> David Ayer continues to rage against the Suicide Squad that was released, uh, the, the the movie he directed in, I'm gonna say 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, Obviously, you know, it's because the current uh, James Gunn Suicide Squad is releasing. And to, to, to his credit, David Ayer is full of praise for James Gunn mm-hmm. uh, for his Suicide Squad, which apparently is is, is quite good. And Kathy Yan uh, for uh, Birds of Prey, uh, which also did quite well. Mm. And and it doesn't seem like he's specifically angling for like a Snyder, Zack Snyder cut-esque opportunity to kind of release his own movie. But... He's very tellingly said that watching the studio release a movie which he believes bore no resemblance to the one he made mm-hmm. felt like having uh, his heart torn out, according to him. Um, and it's interesting to have yet another director coming out against Warner Brothers to criticise their meddling. Um, it's just, you know, another studio that's... that, that I, I don't even particularly care about you yeah. know, superhero movies as a, as a genre, to be honest, but it just seems like a big budget maybe they've always been this way maybe i'm just n- nostalgic for a time that didn't actually exist but i feel like big, big budget budget blockbusters in the last 25 years or or perhaps 15 years actually thinking about it they just always seem to come with some studio overstepping their bounds or doing something to annoy the uh, the creative talent at the heart yeah. of it to be honest with you, this is, again, we always go to wrestling. This is going to uh, alienate some of the fans. But the fact of the matter is, it's like Vince McMahon taking control and saying, I know what the fans want, even though it's not what they want, and just saying, here's yeah. John Cena for 10 years. Like, it's, yeah. ironically, John Cena's in, in the And here's Roman Reigns as a babyface for five. Yeah. And, and then exactly. only turning him here after And like, actual after credible that. reports of him, of him saying backstage, like, the fans don't even know what they want. Like, this is what these producers and these companies think. They think they, think they have this power that they can just shovel us shit and we won't notice. Like, yeah. I have no idea how, the, how Suicide Squad, the original one, did financially, but I'm pretty sure... They would have rather not done what they did to it if they knew because they look at listen they've got so much negative press from that. Let's be honest with yeah. you, it is a steaming pile of shit. Dave, uh, what's his name? Uh, David Ayer. Uh, let David me say Ayer, say yeah. this to, to you. I'm on his side here, obviously, but I will say, if he had anything to do with uh, Jared Leto's Joker in any way, 
I cannot vouch for this man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I think that's the important dist- like distinction to make here. Is like we can support his rights yeah. as an artist to create his vision. Doesn't mean his vision would have been good. Yeah. But it, but it does mean, you know, it should, it, it, listen, if you're going to make a bad movie anyway, you might as well make a bad movie that's consistent with the artist creating its vision. Because what they made instead was this bastardized Frankenstein's monster of a movie that, where the tone was all over the place. And I don't care what Emmett says about this movie, all right? Like, I, for those of you who know what, know which episode <laughs> yeah, of yeah, yeah, yeah. you were referencing there, it's a bad movie and it shouldn't have been made the way it was. It, it couldn't have been worse listen, if they'd have just let David Ayer do Listen it. to me. David Ayer, okay, I'm still on his side, but I've got to say this as well. He, <laughs> he presided over a film that during the shooting of Jared Leto was sending envelopes full of semen to Margot Robbie's house. Is that true? That is true. He sent Holy shit. Yes. How is he not in prison? He was he was method acting Conrad. And I and I if I was that director, I'm gonna be honest with you. If I was that director, I would be doing everything I could to get that man out of that film. I honestly would. Yeah. I mean there's method acting and then there's just using your profession as an excuse to be a weirdo. Jared Leto sucks. He's bad and everything. Don't put Jared Leto in movies anymore. Um I didn't know that, and that has I didn't think my opinion allegedly, of Jared Leto could allegedly, lower. Allegedly. Okay. <laughs> I, okay, well, I'll say I, maybe that's not true, but the fact that I have zero problem believing that that, that or, or envisaging that happening uh, says a lot about Jared Well, the Leto listeners will know individual. if it's true or not by the time this goes out, because if it's not, I, I put a flashing thing saying this is false. Because last time with Mel Gibson's <laughs> fight, that was... That, I, I thought that was true. It wasn't true. I, I put it on the thing saying this is a lie. I'm an idiot. <laughs> yeah, but, but also, you know, Mel Gibson. <laughs> like, yeah. you know like he's he's earned a few a few uh tall tales about him as far as i'm yeah, concerned yeah. That's, true. That's, that's true um but yeah so let artists make their movies um which is about as good a segue as i think i'm gonna get into a slightly more upbeat segment of the show we've had our rants mm-hmm. we've talked about how movie studios are shitty now we're gonna talk now now we're going to take a dive into the history of movies the 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 sepia toned days of yesteryear, uh, where you know we where we can leaf through our school books. I'm trying to think of other '90s references here. I'm oh, going I'm really trying. I'm, I'm looking for I'm looking for clues because I thought you might be dropping them accidentally. Here. Oh no, I'm giving you nothing. I'm giving. I'm, sepia I, This is all carefully. Mm. Sepia. Yeah, yeah. That would be a little bit longer ago than 25 years ago. Um, <laughs> it is, of course, your favorite and mine. It is the game show segment that has got the world's gums a flap. It is. <laughs> Back to the feature! I'm assuming there's music there. You, <laughs> you could pull a horrible trick on me and just not put music in at some point and I'll look Listen, listen, you, you don't, you don't notice because you're dancing too. I'm dancing every time, mate, so I'm not, I'm not going to make oh. myself look bad. Lovely. I was doing the macarita that time. <laughs> oh, great. It's hard to do sat down. That's an impressive feat. Um, welcome! So back to the feature. For those of you who haven't uh, listened before, this is the exciting game show segment where I have selected a feature film from 25 years ago, uh, as close to today's date as possible. Anthony will hear five clues and have five opportunities to guess the film. Each clue he hears will lower the amount of points he scores. And please play along at home. Anthony, are you ready for back to the feature? I'm ready. You're on a 
So two weeks ago you got a five pointer. Jeez, all skill. Last all skill. week you got a four pointer. Yeah, just a little bit less. I mean, skill. you know, you played the you played the hand you were dealt. I, I'm bitter about it. I'm not going to lie about that. But I, you know, I I I I set the ball up for you and you spiked it. A friend of mine in real um, life got told me he got along the first uh, first clue. So I have to try and beat him this time. <clears throat> okay, I'm. This isn't really a, a clue. I will be quite impressed if you've seen this movie purely because I don't really think it's your it's your cu- cup of tea. But but we'll see. We'll see. Clue the first. Mm-hmm. This high budget sequel to a popular eighties dystopian thriller made only half of its cost back at the box office. Dystopian thriller. Yeah, I I will say I kind of I've called it a thriller, but it kind of sits between genres a little bit, in my opinion. Hmm. You could make the argument it's an action movie. Okay, okay. Dystopian um, sequel. Have I seen this film, you think? The sequel or the original? Yeah, either. You might have seen the original. I don't think you've seen this. Okay. I'd be surprised if you've seen it. Right, so that rules Bill and Ted 2 out. Um, let me see. Dystopian <laughs> You dance with the Reaper. Uh, okay. <laughs> Um, okay. Um, I'm not, I, I'm going to be honest with you, as usual with the first clue, I'm not really anywhere. Um, sequel, let's go for, I have no idea. I have no idea. Uh, let's, okay. I was, I was going to, I'm like, just going to say Angels in the Outfield. <laughs> that famous, is that a sequel? I don't think it is. Uh, it is not Angels in the Outfield. I've a film I've never seen. Is that about baseball? Yeah, Kevin Costner. I'm it is. Yeah, baseball. Wait, hold on. He made Field of Dreams and Angels in the Outfield. Um, I think so. Yeah, I th- I'm pretty sure. Oh no, maybe Field of Dreams is Angel. No, isn't Angels in the Outfield about like ghosts who play baseball? Yeah, but I think Field of Dreams has ghosts in it as well, like the ghost of his dad. I've not seen either. To be no, honest, neither, but right. I thought. It- oh, no, I've seen Angels in the Outfield. Is- well, someone tell us in the comments. Did Kevin Costner make two kind of ghosts, friendly ghost based? Maybe I'm amalgamating movies? them. Maybe Field of Dreams is the one that I'm thinking of, but I'm saying Angels in the Outfield. You know. Okay, that I mean, you could tell me those are the same. Or is movie, Angels in the Outfield maybe. the Tom Hanks one with the women playing, playing uh, baseball? I don't know. I, I've literally not seen either of these movies. So the the Tom Hanks one where it's the women playing baseball is actually a very good film. I can't okay. remember what it's called. Maybe it's Angels in the cool. Outfield. <laughs> Uh, well, it's not this. I'll tell you that much for, for, for nothing. Uh, clue the second. Bruce Campbell has a brief cameo in this movie as the grotesque Surgeon General of Beverly Hills. The grotesque Surgeon General of Beverly Hills. I don't know who Bruce Campbell is. Um, oh, that's a that's a shocker from you, Anthony. So not know who Bruce Campbell. Is. I'm sorry, I, I don't know who he is. So there. It's uh, uh, his his movies again. I think his movies aren't really your kind of your aren't really your bag. Whereas I'm very much he's very much in my wheelhouse. Baby. Uh, okay, let me let me think. Bruce Campbell, Surgeon General. So there's a surgeon in this. I'll, t- I'll tell you what. I'll tell you who Bruce Campbell is because you will know. He's the guy who announces Spider Man. Uh, at the wrestling match with Macho Man Randy Savage in the first uh, the first Spider-Man movie. Right, okay. I don't know too many of films that that guy's in. You're right. So I don't actually know if that's going to help me too much. It's a sequel. It is a thriller. Well, it's my thriller action. Um, again, no, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of lost on this one. Let's go for... Okay. I don't know. Let's... 
yeah, let, let's let's go for paranormal activity too. <laughs> 1996. Listen, uh, listen. Um, listeners that, know from now, when I have a random guess, it doesn't matter what the year is. I'm just throwing a name true. out there. That's half the fun. That's <laughs> half the fun is hearing when you don't know, you just try to throw something out that sounds like it could maybe even be slightly right. It's not Paranormal Activity 2. Um, the last good Paranormal Activity movie. Um, Clue the third. This is Kurt Russell's only writing credit on a movie. Okay, I think I'm in the ballpark now. I think I'll probably recognize the name of the first film, but I can't quite remember. If I remember correctly, it's got a it it's got a bit of a wackiness to it. Um I, I don't know the film. I, I think I'm pretty sure Big Trouble in Little Something. Am I getting? I'm close. I think I'm close. I, I'm. I'll, I'll. I'll. fill in the title for you, because it's not Big Trouble in Little China, but it's a lovely guess. Yeah. One, one of my. One of my favorite movies, Big Trouble in Little China. Uh, I watched it very recently. Um. You've. You've got. Well, I'll read you the fourth clue, and then I'll return to that. Okay. So, okay. Okay. Fourth clue. This is the only sequel that John Carpenter ever directed. So you've done a, a, a lovely reach there, Big Trouble in Little China, because. Kurt Russell was the star of it, and John Carpenter directed that. So you're definitely in the right ballpark. Okay, so John Carpenter has put me, yeah, definitely in the correct ballpark. I'm thinking the first Thing movie definitely is more thriller, I would say. I haven't actually seen the full film, but I do know that there is un- that it's not just an action film. So I understand why you're sort of balancing between there if this is a sequel to The Thing. But I haven't seen the... F- first one actually the whole way through and i didn't even know there was a sequel to this if there is one i don't know if there is i'm gonna go for the thing too i don't know if that's even the title of it let's go for it pop this into the learning algorithm to see uh, to have it checked against our database it's not the thing too there, there isn't actually a sequel to the thing the thing is a a, a kind of spiritual uh remake of i think it's called the thing from outer space which was a 50s movie and then there was a prequel slash soft reboot made in the mid 2010s i think okay about the norwegians the thing is one of those movies that at some point we have to watch because Mm -hmm. it is amazing okay your final clue i you're in you're definitely in the right you're knocking on the door i don't think i'm gonna gonna get it but you know let's go okay so clue five it was Kurt Russell who essentially got this movie made after it was caught in development hell for almost 15 years, mainly because Snake Pliskin was one of his favourite characters to play. Okay, now I've got an image of him with one eye. Oh, oh it's, he's, he's scorching hot. Uh, I'm not going to get it. I'm not going to get it. Uh. I, I'm not going to get it. I, I'm not going to get it. I'm going to go for... See, the thing is, like, because I, I kind of can picture it in my mind, I find it even hard to pull a random one to guess because I'm just like, but yeah. I might get it in the next two seconds of thought. Um, <laughs> but I, I don't I don't think I'm going to get it. But I think I am viewing him with an eye patch potentially. I don't know why. Something about this film, I haven't seen it, but something about it is screaming like that Hot Shots film with Charlie Sheen. Uh, I don't know why. I don't know why. So let's go for Hot Shots Part 2. 
it's not Hot Shots Parker. <laughs> when, when you John said Carpenter. you pictured him, yeah, John Carpenter, that would have been, been a pull for him. When you said you can picture him with one eye, I, I thought you were gonna. I thought you were gonna pull it out of the bag. Oh, to be honest, it. Snake Plissken does indeed have one eye. Snake Plissken <sighs> is, of course, the one-eyed anti-hero star of uh, the original movie, which is a very good film called Escape from New York, <sighs> about uh, when the president's plane goes down in the prison city of New York. And the sequel, uh, which is not a good movie, but I still kind of love, is Escape from L.A. Uh, I didn't. I'd never even heard of Escape from LA. Escape from New York is one of those ones that is deep in my mind. I would have known the name of it eventually, probably. You you had you had the image yeah. of Snake Plissken in your mind, and you just couldn't summon it forth. You were very close, and you were in the Kurt Russell, John Carpenter ballpark. Ah, that's early, all right. That's all right. It's it, it's been a you know a strong couple of weeks for you, um, and I've I've every confidence that you're going to bounce back from this from this defeat. Yep. Um, but unfortunately, a zero pointer. It's about the journey, Conrad. Week. It's about the journey. It is. It's about the great banter that we have <laughs> yeah. in, in this game show segment. That's what the that's what the people come for. Um, I think I I think last week I compared myself to Steve Harvey, and then I did some com- uh, yeah, some yeah, research. Yeah. I didn't want to say he's a, he's a little bit problematic. So, didn't want to uh, say. I'm not. I'm not going to do that. Should have said Liz Dennis. <laughs> Liz Dennis. I just I feel like any game show host is potentially. Uh, putting myself in hot water so i'm just gonna forge my own trail yeah um but that was back to the feature and thank you everyone for playing we're gonna now head into our main feature <clears throat> i've not said anything to anthony i i'm gonna i'm gonna let the listeners peek behind the curtain here when we started uh this this zoom call that we're recording for for, <laughs> for the podcast um and anthony made a joke about how he was gonna prep all of you with my antique Christopher Nolan stance, which I think is a little unfair of Anthony. I I'm, I wouldn't call myself anti Christopher Nolan. I just have no time for his bullshit. You have an agenda, um, is what I'm saying. I've not t- said uh, to any. I've not said anything to Anthony about how I felt about this movie. We are talking, of course, as we said in the intro, about 2010's Inception. Yep. Now, Anthony, like you, I'm going to let you lead off with what you said to me beforehand just to get just to get your biases out of the way earlier right let's let me point the mirror at you all right (laughs) right let's start out by saying conrad has portrayed himself in the past as a man who likes to view himself as a man who grows up and 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 as he ages he becomes more mature we've seen this we've seen this with the way he riled against 300 he used to think it was a four-star film with a like now it's a two-star film no like he's taken the like away yep. and that's not yeah, because I he grew I, yeah that's I not flourished. because he didn't like the film anymore that is literally just because he wants to feel like he has progressed he has <laughs> he has grown in his life okay how dare you. now that how dare you. that will happen now let me just say up front, and I, I, I'm getting the feeling this is all going to end with Conrad saying he likes Inception. But let's just say that this film is Christopher Nolan's magnum opus, not Magnus opus, as I said with for Dark, you know, little pun there. Magnum yeah. opus. He will, he will be forever trying to recreate this. Tenet trying to recreate this. In, Interstellar trying to recreate this. This is the film which he is going to forever be compared to in terms of everything he does. The way he does the time in this film, the way it is complex but also very emotional and you can carry the through line through the film, the world that he's created, he's not going to top it. In my opinion, this film is great. I said I turned to Ema eight or, eight or ten times while watching this and I just said, this is fucking amazing. What do you think, Conrad? 
So, okay, so in, let's talk up. This is actually the, my final point on this, but we might as well do it now. Where, where would you rank it in, in Nolan's catalogue? Would you put it right at the top? Mm. I find it difficult to do that, I'm going to be honest with you, because the films that he made up until this point, I, I think, like, I, this came out in 2010, so I was, I was 17 when this came out. No, sorry, I was 19 when this came out. So this is the, properly the end of my formative teenage years, okay? Yeah. Obviously, I still did a lot of growing. Not as much as Conrad, because he, he's moved from four to two star. But I, I've done a lot of growing, <laughs> right, in that in the time since then. But I will say, Christopher Nolan's films from, like, uh, Insomnia, The Prestige, The Batman films, Inception, up until The Dark Knight and Inception, they all hold a particular place for me. And I find those early ones really hard to take to, to get out. And I say, if I had gone to my head, I'd probably say the Prestige and Inception are my two favorites. Uh, I would probably okay. I would probably say that. Having said that, even for The Dark Knight Rises, passable film. I was yeah. I would, when that came out, I was like twenty one, twenty two, and I and I had moved into the stage of my life where it all just became a big blur, and I don't hold any sort of nostalgia for that film whatsoever. There's no nostalgia for this actually, but but. I think that the first four or five of his films, big budget films, I can't really separate. You know what I mean? Okay, I think that's fair enough. I, so I, I mean, I I I'm just gonna I'm gonna lay this out there. I I think this is one of my like we've had our fun now. I'm just gonna I'm gonna be honest. I'm gonna say I think this is probably one of my favorite movies of his. I don't think it's on the level for me. Dark Knight and Prestige are his two best movies. I, I can see that. I, I don't think it's on that level, but I'd probably put it on the tier below that with stuff like Batman Begins and Memento. Still great films. And other, you know, it's still, yeah, still very good movies, but just not at that, like, top tier Nolan. Because, you know, I joke about Christopher Nolan. It's a running gag that I'm, you know, this kind of, this this troubled intellectual who has no time for Christopher Nolan because I'm busy watching French New Wave films, and that is true. I am doing that, but <laughs> but but, um, but Christopher Nolan, it's easy to forget because he's kind of disappeared up his own ass to a certain extent uh, as as a writer. He made some really good movies, and I think this is one of them. So fundamental for those of you who haven't seen this, we're not going to get into spoilers just yet. And, and Anthony, you can stop me if you disagree with this, but I think fundamentally this is a heist movie. Yeah. it's it's you strip away all of the technically dream related kind of mumbo jumbo and it's really just a movie about having to steal or in this case plant a thing with a team of specialists and intricate planning an idea got- is a powerful thing and once someone <laughs> incepted into christopher Nolan's brain back 20 25 years ago make a heist film where they have to put mm. something in there but i i almost think like the putting it in well, I think the, the kind of MacGuffin of planting the idea, although it is in... It, actually, that's not true. I was going to say it doesn't really matter because it's the action around it, you know, the, the thing that they're stealing or they're planting is the stuff that matters. But actually, there is some good character work between oh. Killian Murphy and Tom Berenger in this that mm-hmm. is is facilitated by that. So I'm not, I'm, I don't think that's actually... I don't think I'm correct in that. Um, I honestly feel... One, I, sorry, Corona, just I'm going to add to that point. I honestly feel the moment... Hmm. I'll just say before we get into spoilers, like obviously we're gonna do a fair bit of talk before spoilers, but the the character moments bet- with Killian Murphy especially and the relationship with his father, I think mm. are so well done, and and I think that they do such a good job of of transitioning from the crazy action into these little heartfelt moments. Yeah. That the 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 sort of big crescendo at the end, which we won't go into at the minute, just in case anyone hasn't seen Interstellar, uh, Inception. I'm sure that is no one <laughs> watching this video who hasn't seen this film, but. 
I really think that they did those emotional moments really well. I, th- I really think it's Song. And that's maybe one of the reasons why this is better than a lot of the things he's going to do in the future, because he managed to marry it so well. What, yeah, and I, I think that's definitely true. I also think that this movie threatens to trip itself up with its own kind of technical complexities. Mm-hmm. And I think this is the beginning of Nolan's infatuation with kind of presenting his movies as something deeper than they actually are. Yeah. And I don't say that as kind of like, I don't mean to be churlish when I say that, but I mean like a lot of what Christopher Nolan's movies are is quite simple and that's fine. You can be a simple movie if you do it well. And I think this is this is a great example of a heist movie. And it, it almost falls over because it gets into all the technicalities of the dreaming. And it doesn't really need that. But um, oh, and, it and, and so, oh, it does. Well, it doesn't, doesn't need the, technic, the, the technical details. It does need the technical details because they were able to, not flawlessly, I'll talk about later a couple of moments where I think it is on the edge. And I think that... Uh, it's a bit fourth wall breaking for me, but there are. But the fact that they are able, for the most part, to carry out the technical details correctly, and they've been able to marry it together, I think because of that, that's why it's remembered for what it is. That's why it hit such a huge thing when it first came out because they went for the technical details and they put them in, and it paid off. You know what I mean? I, I so I think personally, I think the reason this hit was two. There's two reasons spectacle i think it is a spectacular movie mm-hmm. in terms of action set pieces um and i don't say that often like I, I think there's a lot of movies i've seen that have good action set pieces but it it doesn't really stun me but watching this back i, I was like and we'll get into the details of the action set pieces once we start talking spoilers but watching this back i was like wow these are really good action set pieces mm-hmm. like they're re- really well shot um and <clears throat> then the the themes that the movie brings to the forefront with its characters and i think that was what i wanted to discuss with you was was the the, so the themes in this movie of you know infatuation with our past and our future Mm. or dreams i guess and compromising our ability to focus on and live in our present Mm -hmm. because of that yeah Do, do, do you think the movie has much more to say than that or do you think that's kind of that's kind of it if you're going to boil it down to sort of a, a, a moral or a message that they're sort of going for, I think that is a good one to go with. I think that um, I, th- I think if you're able to boil down a film as complex as this and as actiony as this and as crazy as this to a simple moral like that, I actually would think that that's a positive thing. I think I think films should have from the day from day one an idea that they're trying to put across. Ironically, because yeah. this is uh, this is Inception. Keep saying Interstellar. I don't know why. <laughs> don't make two films with the eye. Insomnia, Inception, Interstellar. Come on, like what? Well, you know. Yeah, he'd already he'd done Batman, and then and then he moved to Eye for some reason. Actually, no, this was before Interstellar, wasn't it? So Interstellar's the one that screwed up there, really. Mm-hmm. They should he should just call that Space. The no, Inception or... is one he screwed up because Insomnia came out first. Oh, Insomnia. Yeah, I've never seen Insomnia. Mm-hmm. Um. I mean, I don't necessarily mean that as a criticism. It's more just that, again, it, it, it's it's to me, it's the 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 kind of presumptuous weightiness of like Christopher Nolan's writing that really gets me down. And I, we'll we'll get into that maybe a bit later once we start talking spo- uh, spoilers. Um, but but when it doesn't actually have that much to say in terms of the themes, which is you know, it has this simple thing that it wants mm-hmm. to talk about, and I think it does it really well. I don't I don't mean this as a criticism um so okay one thing i wanted i definitely wanted to talk about before we talk spoilers let's talk characters yeah 
We gotta talk the gang. We gotta talk the gang. You so, get the intro. You get the intros like you know where they're going around the world. Like almost, you know. Yeah, it's great. Okay, so I would say this is not quite as as stylish as like a Steven Soderbergh movie, like an Ocean's Eleven mm-hmm. or something. They're not. Then, but but the characters are far. Certainly, at least DiCaprio is far more complex a character yep. than Danny Ocean. But I can't remember if that's his <laughs> let's real. Go, Danny let's, Ocean let's is it. that his real name? Let's go with it. Uh, yeah, and. Oh, mama, talk about having an absolutely superstar cast. Like, you look at... This is a murderer's row of actors here. So you've got Leonardo DiCaprio, Tom Hardy, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Ken Watanabe, Killian Murphy, Tom Berenger, Elliot Page, at, at that point, Ellen Page, before they had transitioned, Marion Cotillard, Michael Caine, Pete Postlethwaite. Like, just... There, there are four or five actors in this movie who would go on to be perfectly serviceable leads in their own right. Yeah. It is unreal, the star power that this movie has. Um, the only negative in the star power is the fact that Heath Ledger passed away because I think that the role of um, Arthur, Joseph Gordon-Levitt played, apparently there's word out that it was written for him. Oh, really? Okay, I could have definitely seen mm-hmm. that because it's... I mean... and. I think that that's really interesting because I think Joseph Gordon-Levitt does a really good job as kind of like the straight man mm-hmm. in the in the group, um, and an excellent foil to Hardy, who's a little bit more kind of like cavalier and cocky. But I would love to have seen what Heath Ledger did with that. Um, Maybe I'm and, and misremembering. See- Maybe it's Cobb, but he was definitely. I, I saw him as more of an Arthur, to be honest. Yeah, I could see. I think I feel like by this point, DiCaprio was kind of like Nolan's Nolan's guy. Um, like he he loved him as a lead. Um, talking about Tom Hardy, I feel like it'd be remiss of us to uh, go over his his character here without mentioning this is probably him at his most Bond-like, I would say. I feel like when, when I was watching this movie, I was like, shit, they should have made Tom Hardy James Bond around this time because he would have been great. I think literally he didn't get it because he's too short. I think that's that's probably why they didn't give it to him. I, I, I maybe he didn't want it, let's be honest. Because possibly you can't, you yeah, can't. He must have been in the conversation. Like he must have been in the conversation. I think he does yeah. a really good job. Of course, he's the what do they call him? The forger. Like so, they've got all the little, yes. the little names. He's the forger, so he can turn into the characters. I thought it was, a, I thought it was okay the way they portrayed. They didn't have enough room to properly go into how he turns into characters within no. dreams. So what they did was it, it was serviceable. Uh, I would have, I, I, I would have preferred something different but i don't even know what i would have preferred to be honest with you i think he did they did an okay job at that um yeah but yes he's he he did, he did very well i thought he was he was also one of the comic relief for the film too so he, yeah, he sort of had yeah. a couple he, of hats he, he and uh he and joseph gordon levitt were kind of the mm-hmm. uh, the funny the funny pairing um and, and i think you are right i think a lot of the characters are kind of just like are essentially their roles um with the exception of of cobb who who's uh troubled relationship with Marion Cotillard's character Mal Cotillard. is really like mm-hmm. the heart of the movie and and then like Elliot Page is great as the kind of moral clear-headed reflection of Cobb um of course and, and Ariadne that's what's you know yeah Ariadne yeah as soon as I heard that I was like okay I didn't spot I didn't know what that meant probably the first mm-hmm. time I watched it but I've seen Dark now I I don't know who Ariadne is I and I I know a metaphor when I see one Christopher <laughs> Nolan you're not getting that past um and Ken Watanabe doing oh yeah Ken Watanabe stuff. <laughs> Let's be young men again. I thought that like the, the the beginning of the film with Ken Watanabe as he's like a really old man, and then it cuts to the same scene, but he's a young man in the mm. same room. I I thought that sort of 
knowing what was going to happen to Saito before it happened, like sort of if you the more when you rewatch it, I mean, I, I thought he did a really really good job. I thought he he's sort of like an unsung hero of this film for me. Yeah, he he's kind of and it, it's funny actually as well because his character, if you actually take a step back and look at his character, it's completely implausible. He's like this billionaire this energy billionaire who's like for some reason incredibly plausible at being a part of the height incredibly competent rather at being part of the heist. Yeah, yeah. but ken watanabe's performance is really what sells saito as a character and makes it believable um i don't know and, if it's you know, believable that this is the thing i don't know if it's believable that he would be worried about this big company if he has enough money to yeah. buy an airliner <laughs> an airline company yeah. out of nowhere they could buy a million airline companies. They're like, that's the problem. Like, he can buy, he can afford one. Yeah. But yeah. Killian, Mur- Killian Murphy can afford all of them. Yeah. Um, okay. So, I mean, I think that's a natural segue point for us to say, okay, we need to start talking spoilers here because we're getting into Saito's intro, and I have some yeah. things that I need to okay. say about the intro to this movie. Cool. So, if you haven't seen Inception, spoiler warning, we're going to start talking some more plot-specific stuff here. Yeah. Um. That intro is one of the best action movie intros I've ever seen. Like, it's just like, here's a dream. Oh, okay, we're in another dream. Oh, shit, we're in another dream. And it's just like, uh, and, you know, it, it, it gives you, it, it gives you, like, whiplash. Because mm-hmm. you're, you're trying to keep up with it and trying to keep up with, like, where you are and whose dream you're in. And it's just, it's so engaging yeah, the, as a plot device. The two layers of dream and then the third layer is the real life whenever they're on the train. It really is great. Like the first time I watched it, I went to cinema to see this four times. I think Conrad. It was back in those days where I was, I was young, had had no commitments, had a part time job, had too much money for for the age I was, and I was just like, I'm gonna go see films in the cinema four times. Um, yeah. And so I saw this like four times in the cinema, and I'm just gonna say to you, the first time Saito recognizes that the carpet is made of polyester and not and not wool that it should be, I was like oh my god you know it was a real great moment like <laughs> yeah no i i and i think like that um like those little moments of kind of fleshing out the the way that the dream construction works T- to be honest for me they don't add that much because I, d- I don't really need that but i can totally understand why someone who is into that kind of like basically into um a movie creating some a system that actually follows its own rules and works mm. which i think maybe is more is more your speed than 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 mine mm. why this would appeal so much to you. i will say conrad like i think you're right it didn't need it but i i will i'll say this it doesn't need the technicalities and the minutia of those things to be a good film okay mm. i yeah. am a true believer that it did need those to become the sort of huge epic iconic film it became because when you have uh, audiences going and loving the film like like you know like a lay person audience who love the film and they're just like a general movie going audience but it had it had so much like set pieces yes they are confused as it goes but it was an amazing action film that they also walked away from being i need to see that again that's what made it what it was and i remember like it, it seems stupid now but there was there was a lot of discussion at the time whether or not Cobb's still dreaming or not because they don't show the thing falling, whereas really that's just like a little cheap thing Christopher Nolan did to film finish the film in my opinion. But but there, at the time there was a lot of discussion around how complex the film was. Did you understand it? Did you not understand it? And I think that's what made it what it was. That's what made people go see it a couple of times. It what made people want to get the DVD. You know what I mean? I think that really what is what made it into such an an iconic film. Yeah, I, I think I do agree with you. I think um, my 
I don't have that many criticisms of this movie. I do think it's a really, really fun movie. Um, my criticisms of it are, and I, I think this this does relate slightly back to my not having very much patience for Christopher Nolan when he when he gets on his bullshit. Is the good the good complex stuff in this movie is almost tainted a little bit by moments like you know when they go to um, find the is it the alchemist the guy who like knows how to create like the sedative I can't mm-hmm. remember his yeah his, yeah his name. alchemist I think he's called yeah <clears throat> they go to find him and he's he's got this kind of like basement full of full of dreamers yeah. that he's sedated and um and tom hardy's character kind of says incredulously they pay to come here and and sleep and uh and the the guy says no they come here to wake up and it's just like fuck you christopher nolan all right get that it's very much kind of like a doctor man and interstellar moment and um Mm -hmm. there isn't that much of that in this but there is a little bit, and it kind of colours my impression of maybe some of the other stuff. And it's not... That's on me. Okay, I know it is 100% on you, Conrad, because I'm going to go on about the agenda here. So I think that... (laughs) I I honestly think that you are noticing that because Christopher Nolan is a good director and a good writer. Honestly, that might sound... He's not a good writer. No, no, no. Hang on, no, no, no. Come on, there's different types of writing. We sat here and and blew fucking smoke up the arse of Fast 9. Come on, mate. Like... No, like, but Fast Nine no, this, like knows what kind of. No, movie this it is, is my point. This is my point, right? I think that if you, because we're going from all this technical, you know, really sort of attempt at classy filmmaking into these mm. stupid lines, that's where I think the, your issue is the dichotomy of those two styles, right? Whereas if you were watching a film and it was nothing but that guy saying, you know, they come here to be awake, if it was nothing but that, you'd fucking love it. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, I, I don't. I don't necessarily have a problem with cheesy dialogue. It's more. I, I. I get the impression with Christopher Nolan's filmmaking that he thinks he's making more kind of like important films than he is, and that's not to say they're not good films. I think. I, I think Inception is a is a is a really good movie, uh, and I'm really. I, I really enjoyed it. I. I don't think he's making like. 2001 a space odyssey but i think he thinks he is which is kind of my kind of my issue with him uh as a as a, mm. as a writer now I, I, I again i will say that my my perception of that um flaw in him as a creator isn't really all that present in this movie that literally was the only line that made me sit up and be like ah <laughs> yeah. oh, i mean nolan. it did stand out <laughs> <laughs> there he is the old nolan comes out like um for the most part, I think this is a very good balance of his best qualities as a filmmaker. And, and I think, presentationally speaking, as good a film as he has ever made. I think it, it won a lot of Oscars for visuals and sound. Mm-hmm. And I think it absolutely deserves those. Like, oh, it's yeah. stunning. Oh, yeah. And like Hans Zimmer's score, really great too. I, I'll, I'll say this, right? Okay. Now, I think that this this might sound like a real off-the-wall observation, but I think this is true. When you listen to Christopher Nolan talk about movies and how he likes to make movies, mm. and the reason he loves to do like IMAX cameras and stuff, he's all about making the cinema experience, like going to the big screen. He wants, to, he wants adults to feel watching a film like he felt when he was a child watching the film. And this yeah. is where my slant on it comes. I think, therefore, I really think... When he makes a film, he pictures the audience as a general moving going public in America. 
I think he pictures his film for an American audience because that's when he was a kid. He was watching American films and he's like trying to emulate that. I honestly think that he's making it for a general American audience. And I think, let's be honest, sorry to our American listeners, to the rest of the world, you do come across a bit cheesy. Like, you know what I mean? It do- Certainly blockbusters. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And I think that, 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 that is a weakness. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying this is an excuse. That That is a weakness. The way I think who he views as his sole audience isn't always the way it pans out to be you know what i mean yeah i think i I definitely think he has a great love for the movie going experience and he what he wants his movie to be front and center of that but i think telling i think that the 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 story of the, the his movies tell is less important than the experience of watching them i think which is not to say you know his stories are bad but i i think if you if you look at some of his later stuff like Dunkirk, I think is quite a good example, where that is a very experiential movie. It's not really about any particular story within. Well, the everyone movie. already knew the story before they started watching. That's true. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's historically based, so it's kind of you know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like that's really a movie that wants to kind of put you in the position of the people on the yeah. pictures of Dunkirk yeah, or in the skies above it. Um, more so than telling a telling a story, and actually, having said that, Inception I think is is more interested in its in in having having a narrative, and uh, and exploring exploring themes on its own merits, which I think is one of the things I love about it. Um, okay, so <clears throat> I've got two two things that I w- that I wanted to to visit with you okay, briefly okay. before we wrap this up. Oh, actually, I, I have a couple. I have the things which I thought were quite like a little bit fourth wally breaky, not fourth wall breaky, but they took me out of it. After you do this. Okay, well, I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll do one, yeah. and then you do yours, and then I'll do another one, because mine, mine are dumb, okay, to okay, be honest. Okay. So, first one, we had... Um, I've now forgotten his name, but the Hector from Westworld... Um, oh, yeah, he was Xerxes. In last week's movie, in 300. Yeah. Did you notice that we had another Westworld actor appear in this movie this week? I didn't. Who was that? It was a blink and you'll miss it appearance by, hold on, let me get the name, Tallulah Riley, who is the blonde host who greets William. Yes, I did notice that. Yes. And she was the the blonde at the bar that Killian Murphy was talking to when they were in Tom Berenger's dream. Yes. Um, And I, I was immediately like, Hot damn, we're two for two on Westworld. <laughs> yeah, what are we doing here? Like, <laughs> we need to find another one. Yeah, yeah. We'll uh, we'll purposely watch one. Like, with the, like, let's go watch the Notebook, starring James Marsden, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. next week. Um, go on. Okay, so you've got a couple of fourth wall breaky things. You're far better at spotting this kind of stuff than I am, really. So, what what, do you, what did you spot? I say fourth wall breaky. It's actually not the right way to describe it. It is just taking me out of it because Christopher Nolan try. He's very ambitious with his technicalities, as we've already talked about. He's very ambitious with trying to create this system of something complicated and sometimes he does things which take people out of it for example you were taken out of it in interstellar when love conquered all fair enough that's okay i i actually thought that was quite nice um taken out of the fucking cinema is what i was yeah yeah, yeah. well did, <laughs> i wasn't i stayed till the yeah, end yeah i was I there with you we, 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 we went and got <laughs> yeah. some lovely pizza after i do remember we did, um we did. but so basically um also, actually, there's another one I was going to say in Tenet as well. I've got a whole video on that. There's, there's certain things where they just sort of, just for cool factor, they just like throw the rules of their time travel out the window, right? So that's okay. That's all right. In this, he does have a couple of moments like that. I'm just going to ask you a question, Conrad. If a kick wakes you up because the ear function is not um, is is not uh, affected by this sedative, why the fuck do they do they stay stay asleep during a car rolling over? <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, a lot. See, this is what I'm talking about. Like this kind of stuff is like you didn't need all of this. <laughs> oh no, the kick's not going to work unless we set explosives and shit like that. I I will. You say, did need it. I do think you did, but it's not hard to yeah. write it consistently. That that yeah. isn't consistent. Like they would have. Come at me in the comments, guys. They would have woken up. If they wake up by fucking yeah. moving a little faster in a lift, they're gonna make wake up from a car rolling over. Yeah, I, I, I think, I, and actually, I do, I do take that back. I think the tension of that scene when they're like Joseph Gordon-Levitt's planting bombs and got them all rolled up with cable and shit, mm-hmm. while like Ken Watanabe's bleeding out a dream down. That is such a good action set piece mm-hmm. that I'm like, you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. I, yeah, I, yeah, I, I yeah. can't criticize it. But it, but I, but I did also at the end think I didn't need all that technical stuff about kicks. You could have just been like, I don't know, we need an explosion to wake us up <laughs> or, or whatever. But that, okay, again, again, again Conrad, like I want Inception to be this iconic film, and I needed it. Otherwise, I think we're we're, we're looking. If it didn't have all that technical crap that everyone was confused by, I really think it would be like live, die, repeat. Like that's it would be remembered like that film, which is a good film. Possibly, it's a good film, yeah. but it's not an iconic film, which that's everyone was wondering how what everything was going on. Yeah, I I, I, w- I will say this for Christopher Nolan, like I rag on him a little bit for his for his kind of what I've I've called before in this episode like self importance, but there is an undeniable style and quality to his writing. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the complexity falls on its ass. I think Tenet is a good example of like, what are you doing, Chris? Like, <laughs> like this doesn't, doesn't. I, I don't know where you're going with it, but I think this is the other side of the Tenet coin where it works very, very well. And even though I'm kind of like, I maybe you didn't need this, I can totally appreciate that it does add something to the experience of watching it. And, and we have briefly touched on this, but I think we'll be, it'll be remiss of us not to mention it here fully. Um, like the very ending with Cobb spinning uh, his, uh, his uh, what do you call it? Fo- they're not called focuses. What do they call them? Token, that's it. Yeah, tokens. Totem, yeah. rather. Totems, um, yeah. Sp- yeah, spinning his totem and then walking away with <laughs> his kid. Do you interpret that any other way than it just being like, oh, maybe, even though it's kind of clearly said he has made it back? Or or do you, do you think there's more to it than that? The only way, for me, the only way you can legitimately say... Um, that it, it, it is a dream still is just that the whole thing the whole film was a dream and i think that's mm. that's just the question that chris Nolan was trying to throw out there was the whole thing a dream and i personally because the whole thing would need to be a dream and therefore before the film started he would already have to be in a dream it's a pointless question and i don't give a fuck about it <laughs> that was literally the response my partner has when uh when we got to the end of the movie and uh, and it ends on the the toast and spinning and uh, she was like what and i was like it just makes you question it and she just rolled her eyes so <laughs> like, yeah. like, like no time for it it literally it literally is like a pointless question because if he was in a dream the whole film even when it started well i don't care i don't care if he's dreaming because the story yeah. story we watched was in the dream who gives a fuck yeah, and if the whole thing was a dream, it's like, well, what are we even doing here? Yeah. <laughs> like, like, what was the point of this movie? So, it, like, unless unless Christopher Nolan deliberately wanted to invalidate his entire film, uh, I, th- I think it's probably just a just a fun little thing he's thrown out. There, there was a moment where he spanned the spinner, um, and then it fell off the uh, a sink, and he didn't actually get to you know after he when he's down in Mumbai, I think where they are. I'm not exactly sure Mombasa. When they're in Mombasa and and like he goes into the dream sleep in the basement with all those other people, and then yeah. he comes out, he tries to spin his thing, it falls off the desk, so he doesn't get it properly. He never actually fully completed that spin, so therefore that could be the moment where he, he was in a dream from that point. Having said that, we see him spinning the thing and it's stopping after that point, so even that's bollocks. So, yeah, 
I mean, but it's it is a hallmark of Christopher Nolan movies to ask these kind of questions, even though they're kind of dumb. They're fun to discuss, and I think that's kind of a, that is a hallmark of his of it, of his movies is is you know how, g- giving us these like water cooler conversation points yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, to have. Um, the the what the final thing, the final thing that we have to mention about this movie before we call it a day is, I believe this movie was the origin of the Hans Zimmer Bois, which yeah. has been in every movie trailer ever made since this came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, do, ha, how how should we punish Hans Zimmer for this <laughs> trend? Oh, you know, extremely. Having said that, the Interstellar score is lovely, so we'll we'll, we'll take it. Is we, we'll, we'll we'll let him have it. I, I will say actually, what's funny is that the um the trailer music for Interstellar Inception, sorry, is just as memorable, but it wasn't done. I don't believe it was done by Hans Zimmer. Oh, now, really? now this might be something I need to look up, and I'll put something on the screen if I'm wrong. But I'm pretty <laughs> sure it was done by that guy Ludwig, someone who's the Mandalorian's guy, and he's also uh, Tenet's. Yep, yep, yep. I think he's Tenet's one as well, uh, composer. I'm pretty sure he did the original trailer for Interstellar. He would have been very young at the time, so maybe I'm wrong. But yeah. Okay, that's interesting. If they if they shared uh, shared responsibilities on yeah, on the score, and perhaps. We should split the blame for that incredibly annoying trend between uh, between Hans Zimmer and the and the Mandalorian uh, score man Goranson um, Ludwig Goranson sorry that's it yeah, yeah he, he he he's made some great music mm-hmm. um, overall then Anthony I mean we've kind of gone over it but sounds like you would recommend this movie I honestly would and if someone's listening here and they've watched the movie I will just ask why um, <laughs> I I honestly don't I honestly don't think there's a better there's a better like blockbuster of that little sort of three four year era of cinema i i honestly think this is around the time connor you have to remember this was fucking huge like you know what i mean oh yeah and you know nolan was pumping out bangers um as i say it's easy to forget because he kind of maybe lost his way a little bit or maybe you know he just started making stuff that had slightly less mainstream appeal um but you know 2010 that was peak christopher nolan yeah he was making good things and he was very popular also zach hemsey did the uh, inception trailer sorry i was wrong Okay. Well, I mean, you've corrected yourself yep. and saved, saved saved us all some hassle. Um, <laughs> that is gun do it for us here on the best movie podcast ever, which leaves us with uh, only one simple question to answer, as we always do, and that is, Anthony, what's your favourite movie? I'm I'm going. I'm not even going to joke this week. It is Inception. It is lovely. Um, I unfortunately have to go with Escape from New York because I've, <laughs> I've, invo- I've invoked John Carpenter and John Carpenter is my boy. Um, <laughs> thank you to Nancy Wyatt and Jared Iscariot for the use of our theme song. You can find links to their stuff down in the link below. And thank you to you for joining us. Uh, please consider subscribing. We are the best movie podcast ever on... Uh, wait, hold on. We're the best movie podcast ever on on everything. I don't know why I said that. We're the Culture Cave on YouTube. <laughs> yeah. And uh, um, we are. I've completely fucked up this outro. We're the best movie podcast ever on podcasting apps. You know where. You know where to look. Just for subscribe, us. all right. Just subscribe, <laughs> all right. Just get involved in the comments, and we will see you same time, same place next week. And cut. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> A lovely, a lovely ending. Excellent. Absolutely fantastic.